Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, May 16. Every time you inhale, imagine yourself inhaling energy. Pranayama, a yoga practice, means not only breath control, but control of energy. As air fills your lungs, feel your entire being, body, mind, feeling, aspirations, swelling with energy and joy. That's a really fun practice, isn't it? Because guess what? Wherever you are, you're breathing. So this requires no props, no special circumstance, no yoga mat, no silence, no nothing. All you have to do is be there and be breathing. And then all of a sudden, you have a practice. Isn't that practical? Isn't that economical? It's just right in front of you to do. When many years ago, I was uh, I was a guest at a a yoga program with a number of teachers. It was sponsored by another ashram, and I was there representing Ananda. And uh, and one of the the teachers that I really enjoyed, or this particular part of his presentation I really enjoyed, he was teaching us to do, I think it was actually a breathing exercise. Prana means energy. We think of pranayama as exercises we do with the breath, but the breath is, is, is a means to access a more subtle kind of energy. That's why it commonly means breathing exercises, but the deeper meaning is energy control. Yama means control and prana means energy. Well, anyway, this man was going to lead us into a certain exercise, and we were sitting in some auditorium chairs, whatever they were. He was a a swami, and he said, uh, you know, make yourself as comfortable as you can in those chairs. He said, The problem is, and he said it sort of like this, the problem is the chairs you are sitting on is part of the international conspiracy against proper sitting and breathing. (laughs) Which was exactly the truth. You know, they had you tilted back and they tipped your spine and it was just very hard to get yourself oriented with a straight spine in a comfortable position. I've always laughed about the international conspiracy. I had a friend, have a friend, who is a, a car dealer, and a few years ago, um, he generously donated to me a used car, a very nice car that I drove for many years. The problem is that the, the car seat was also part of the international conspiracy against proper breathing and sitting, and it just, it, it was it kind of like, Let's see, how would I describe it? It, it just kind of, it, it sucked you in. It tilted you backwards and bent you forward in all the, absolutely the wrong ways. Instead of being a straight L between your hips and your spine, you were kind of a V. Your head, your top was pushed forward, your knees were pushed, it was horrible. And it was a wonderful car, but I just, I couldn't sit in it because it was so uncomfortable. And I, I tried, I looked into replacing the front seat of a car um, the, the driver's seat, which you can buy. You can actually buy the driver's seat of a car. It's primarily for people who are doing racing to have these certain kind of seats. And 
they were expensive and I couldn't tell whether they were going to still keep me in a V instead of an L. And then I had one of those do-it-yourself moments where I realized I could just rip the whole front seat out, which I did. I just got down there with tools and I ripped the whole front seat out and I rebuilt it according to my specifications. And I, it was great. It was funky looking. It was, you know, it was one of those duct tape creations. I did my best to make it work, but I drove that car for many years and I was always comfortable in it. It, w- it was perfect in that respect. Now, let's see, I had another, I was going somewhere with all of that. Um, uh, let me just see if I can think what the piece was. Well, it doesn't matter, we'll just go on from that. But this is part of what is really actually literally going on in our lives is that we're actually, oh, I know what I was starting to say that I just wanted to finish the thought. When we refurbish the temple, our Ananda temple here in the Palo Alto area, and it had, it had been a Catholic church. Fortunately, it was a Franciscan, the Franciscan order. Let's see, would it have been the Franciscans? Well, no, it was just a Catholic church by that point. But they chose to decorate it in the Franciscan style, which was absolutely great. The bones of the architecture were perfect, and it was very simple inside was just exactly what we wanted, but it was all brown and it was exceedingly utilitarian and had these huge pews, very heavy pews, and so they were very fixed and they were part of the international conspiracy, so they also were not particularly comfortable. So we're going to have our own chairs. We're going to be able to actually just do this exactly the way that we want to do it. And so we had what we called uh, the tush test. And we brought in, you know, all these different chairs and, and had people sit in them and rate them. And, you know, finally we actually found a chair that was not part of the international conspiracy. And we were able to have them manufactured directly for us. And they gave us a wide, flat seat and a straight back. And it was like, wow, this is just incredible. We can actually sit. You could even lean back in this chair and not be bent into a V. Now, I'm, I'm making a big point about this. Because, well, we, we automatically are forced by the furniture we sit in, by the cars we drive, by almost everywhere we go, not to breathe properly, not to understand the power of breath. It's one of the reasons that illness and debilitation and weakness and fatigue and just all of these things begin to happen to us, why we have to constantly compensate with caffeine. Oh dear, I just thought of a joke I have to tell now. Um, these two executives are walking down the sidewalk and you can tell they're very successful. You know, they have their briefcases and they look really, really good. And they walk by this homeless man and he, he looks very disheveled and very sad. And he's holding out, you know, his cup and just like this, trying to get it. And one executive turns to the other and he said, such a sad case. He was the CEO of a really great company. Everything was going great. Then he switched to decaf. (laughs) That about sums it up, doesn't it? (laughs) It's a joke, but it's not a joke. I'm told that that, um, Starbucks has a, what would you call it, an adjective, pre-caffeinated, pre-caffeinated. You know, you made that decision when you were pre-caffeinated. So, <laughs> is that an adverb instead of an adjective? I think it's, an, but it's, you know, it's what you were. I guess it's a noun. <laughs> I, whatever it is, whatever part of speech it properly is, I could never keep any of that straight. 
pre-caffeinated because we don't know where energy comes from. That's what pranayama is about. Pranayama is control of energy. Where does energy come from? Master used to um, hold up his, uh, his, his hand and he would pinch, just a little pinch of flesh on his hand. And he would say, there's enough potential energy in a, in a pinch of your flesh, he said, to keep the entire city of Chicago in electricity for a week. Just in the atoms, contained in the atoms of your hand. I don't know precisely what he was saying, but he was saying this entire universe is energy and we are a huge magnetic field of energy and by proper concentration and willpower and a little bit of an understanding of the divine laws, we, you know, we have within us unlimited energy. We don't have to be just post-caffeinated in order to do a good job. But we have to know what we're talking about. And one of the things we're talking about, pranayama energy control, is often talked about just simply breathing. But not just breathing, you know, just like casually like this. It's breathing with the, with the awareness that breath is the link. Breath is the link between our lives and the infinite. I mean, breath is very, very interesting. Um, uh, in the course of my life, I've had the what I would call the profound blessing and privilege of being present when a number of people have died, you know, at least a dozen. Um, I'm not like my physician friend who is specialized in end-of-life care and has helped hundreds of people transition, but in my little life I've had that privilege a number of times. The extraordinary relationship between life and breath is, of course, absolutely vis- vivid in the last hours of a person's life and absolutely vivid because there is a moment when breath stops. And when breath stops, life force leaves. And until the moment that the breath stops, the soul and the body are linked together. And when the breath stops, the soul begins to exit. And everything that happens from when the baby comes out of the womb and everybody waits for that first cry, because that first cry requires an inhalation, and then an exhalation in a wail. But until the child takes in the breath the ex- outside the womb and then often releases it in a, in a cry, Master says, because when they inhale, they realize they have committed, the child realizes that they have committed themselves to a human birth in the material world. And Master said, often the next response is a, is a wail because, oh my goodness, here I am again, like that. And at the end of life, the last thing that happens is an exhalation. I mean, it's, per- it's perfectly balanced. The first, thing is a- first act is an inhalation, the last act is an exhalation. Life force, and breath is between, you see, breath is between conscious and unconscious. You can't commit suicide by willfully holding your breath. Because even if you determine to hold your breath, at a certain point you will lose consciousness and then the automatic breathing process will take place. The mind will be neutralized by unconsciousness. The body will resume its breathing process. But if you're, if you're asphyxiated, if, you're, if breath has denied you, that will. But you, you can't choose to stop breathing and to die. Now, yogis can stop breathing, but that's a whole different 
that's a different story, and they don't die. They just draw energy without breath. And breath is also very intimately tied to our state of mind. That's why so much of yoga practice focuses on pranayama, because breath is a way to access our consciousness. And consciousness is not necessarily that easy to access. Oh, I'm going to be happy until I'm not. (laughs) I'm going to be energetic until I don't feel so energetic. I'm going to be positive until I get discouraged. Consciousness just fluctuates all over the place. But certain kinds of breathing um, automatically influence the mind in a certain way. When I was in a period of time, I used to be more emotional, more inclined toward tears. Fortunately, over the course of many years, I have my personality, my emotional life has stabilized um, more. I'm not going to say it's stable, but it stabilized more. But at a period of time where I was trying to be less reactive and, and less prone to be upset, I started a practice of when I began to feel like crying or, or, or that kind of a feeling, I realized that if I walked very vigorously, vigorously enough to force a strong rhythmic breathing, then I wouldn't be able to cry at the same time. Of course, what happened was, when I felt like crying, (laughs) and I did that strong walk and got that strong rhythmic breathing, and because my breath was strong and even, the life force was flowing with all this energy, I couldn't cry anymore, I wanted to cry, so I stopped walking. (laughs) But it worked. It worked powerfully. And that, that's what Swami is just touching on. You know, when, when, we, when our consciousness begins to weaken, whatever that might mean to us, strong, definite, positive affirmation accompanied by taking in life force and really knowing that I'm not just breathing now, I'm taking in life force, I'm exhaling weakness, I'm taking in strength, I'm letting go of limitation. It sounds, it sounds so simple but it is so powerful because we're getting right to the core of where life itself exists, right where it is. And breathing also happens in the center of the body, and it activates the the chakras, it interiorizes our awareness in countless ways. Pranayama means control of energy. Control of energy, control of life force, becomes control, self-mastery over every aspect of your life. This is just one more small door that Swamiji is opening in this book. Try walking through this door. This one is easy. This one is fun. Do the experiment, and you'll be fascinated by the results. Swami says, Every time you inhale, imagine yourself inhaling energy. Pranayama, a yogic practice, means not only breath control, but control of energy. As air fills your lungs, feel your entire being, body, mind, feeling, aspirations, swelling with energy and joy. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.